Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 10. Uh, We have been working through the Gospel of John for some weeks now. Uh, This morning we come to John 10. I'm actually going to read John 10, 1 through 18. We're going to save 19 and 20 to go with the sermon text for next week. But John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And before we read that, let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning to hear your voice, and we know that that is not something that I and my flesh can can make happen. That happens by your Holy Spirit speaking through your word, and we pray, Father, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit this morning, uh, that he would speak through your word to us, to our hearts. We pray that you would do this work by your grace because of your son, Jesus, and help us to see Jesus clearly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 10, beginning with the first verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." Well, Israel had a problem throughout her history, and it's a problem I think you will recognize. It feels familiar. As you read through the scriptures, you find this tension. Uh, In the end of the, the book of Judges, there is a refrain, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, But then you get kings in the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, and the kings are corrupt. See, if you have no one in charge, you have anarchy, but the moment you have people in charge, you have the abuse of power. 
And I bring this up because it is actually the context of our passage this morning. And John 10 is one of the most iconic passages in scripture, Jesus as the good shepherd. And as John is doing throughout his gospel, his biography of Jesus, there is yet another, this is yet another portrait of Jesus. The the writer, John, wants us to see Jesus for who he is, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God. And it would be easy to paint a kind of sentimental picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. In fact, it's literally been done hundreds of times. And we won't do that this morning, but before we look at Jesus as the good shepherd, I want us first to consider the context a little more. In chapter nine of John, Jesus healed a man born blind. As a result, the religious leaders threw him out of the synagogue. It was a group of men who had power and they they weren't afraid to use it or even abuse it. The blind man's parents, you may remember, were so afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue that they very carefully shared selective truths when questioned uh, because we were told in John 9, 22, they feared the Jews, that is the Jewish religious elite in Judah. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Here's this corrupt institution, power-hungry men, jealous of Jesus, seeking to put him to death, ready to squash any movement that might rival their power and authority. Well, how did they use that authority? They used it to unjustly exclude this blind man, this formerly blind man. They kick this man out of the synagogue, which, of course, leaves him alone and vulnerable. The problem is, if you decide, okay, well, let's just do away with institutions, right? In this case, get rid of the synagogue. If you decide institutions are the problem, where does that leave us? As sheep without a shepherd. Jesus comes on the scene. He looks at the crowds, and he sees that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's not that they don't have people in positions of authority, right? That there was the Roman government as a civil authority. There was the Sanhedrin as a religious authority. It's not that there was no authority, no structure, no leadership. It's just that there was no good authority, no healthy structure, no benevolent leadership. Hundreds of years earlier in Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel spoke into this situation in his day. We read the whole chapter earlier. I won't reread the whole chapter, but I'll, I'll reread a few verses. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. That's the leaders of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And God goes on in Ezekiel uh, to say, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down. I will rescue my flock. 
they shall no longer be a prey. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. See, God promises both that he would be the shepherd of his sheep and that he would set up David over them, someone in the line of King David. See, there's God's solution to this problem of anarchy on the one hand and of abuse of power on the other. He will send Jesus, who will be a good shepherd. This is what we see here in John 10. Uh, Jesus, the son of David, according to the flesh, the son of God from all eternity, coming to shepherd his people. And we'll look at that under four headings. Uh, we'll, we'll look at the voice of the good shepherd, the purpose of the good shepherd, the method of the good shepherd, and the flock of the good shepherd. So the voice, the purpose, the method, and the flock of the good shepherd. First, the voice. There are a lot of voices out there, aren't there, competing for our attention. Political voices, news media, advertising, entertainment. Unless you have been living in a cave, you have heard some of those voices. If nothing else, you drive down the road, right? And, and, and billboards ruin the scenery and assault your vision. The voices are everywhere. And Jesus recognizes that there are other voices, and in this case, in John 10, not neutral ones either. In John 10, he, Jesus begins to use this imagery of sheep and a shepherd. In verse one, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, a sheepfold is just a pen of some kind, a walled-in area where the sheep would hopefully be protected from predators, wolves and lions and the like. But just because someone is in the sheepfold, Jesus is saying, doesn't mean he belongs there. He could have climbed over the wall and be a thief and a robber. Uh, the shepherd, on the other hand, enters by the door, the gate. Now, the sheep, according to verse 3, hear his voice. Uh, apparently, shepherds, uh, even still today in the Middle East, don't drive their sheep from behind necessarily. Rather, they can lead them from out front. Uh, they use their voice to lead their sheep. Their sheep recognize their voice, a particular call or a certain whistle or a set of notes on a pipe even, and they follow them. And so Jesus says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Uh, there might have been multiple small flocks in the village sheepfold, but it, it doesn't matter because the sheep know their shepherd's voice. Once he has brought them all out, he goes before them, verse 4, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. It's hard to know as we read through this story how many details are we to uh, interpret is it an allegory, right? Does, does every detail have a distinct meaning? Is it a parable? Is it an extended metaphor? Uh, perhaps the thief and the robber are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. According to verse 10, they come only to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, they are the false shepherds of Israel who feed on sheep rather than feeding them. Almost certainly the sheepfold is meant to be Israel herself. The, the Israelites were God's sheep. Psalm 80, verse 1, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Uh, Psalm 95, verse 7, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Uh, but what about the, the gatekeeper of verse 3, or who is the stranger of verse 5, and what does it mean that the thief and the robber climb in by another way? 
We're probably not meant to read into every detail of this metaphor, though some may may do that fruitfully, but the main point is clear, to get a picture of the shepherd himself. He calls his sheep, they know his voice. He calls them by name, he leads them and goes before them and they follow him. Uh, Again, think of this picture described in verses three to five. Unlike the thief and the robber, the shepherd comes to the door. Uh, The gatekeeper opens because he knows the shepherd. Perhaps they exchange niceties. They talk about the weather, right? The, The sheep's ears perk up. The sheep hear his voice. And then he calls them by name and they come running and he leads them out, not driving them from behind with a a stick, but going ahead of them, guiding them by his voice. Once all of his sheep are out of the pen, he goes before them, he leads them to green pastures and still waters and the sheep follow because they know his voice. They don't follow a stranger, they run from strangers. Sheep are, are scaredy cats. And they don't know the voice of strangers. In verse six, We're told, John tells us, this figure of speech, this language of shepherd and sheep, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Like Jesus' parables in the other gospel accounts, the the, the people don't understand once Jesus starts to use imagery. And they get the imagery. I mean, it would have been very familiar to them, but they don't get how Jesus is using the imagery or what he's saying with the imagery. But again, just think of the context, right? Jesus has just healed a man born blind. He's brought him out of darkness and into light. He cared for his sheep. The religious leaders, though, they don't hear Jesus' voice. They they aren't his sheep. They are thieves and robbers who feed on the sheep rather than feeding them. And they reject Jesus and reject the man who was born blind. And he is like a sheep then without a shepherd until Jesus finds him and invites him to faith. And the the, the questions for us in some ways from this passage are obvious, aren't they? Do you hear Jesus' voice? Do you take comfort that he knows your name? When he leads, do you follow? And there are so many voices clamoring for our attention, so many competing uh, narratives and counterfeit saviors out there. The question for you when it comes down to it is, do you hear Jesus' voice? I don't mean do you audibly hear the voice of Jesus. I mean when you read the scriptures, do you think this is it? This, This is God's word. When you hear the the preaching of the gospel, do you think this is the voice of Jesus? I'm not asking, again, that do you have a mystical experience when you open the Bible? But do you believe that this is Jesus' voice? Jesus' sheep hear Jesus' voice, speaking in the scriptures and in the preaching of the gospel. It's like when you haven't seen an old friend for some time, but suddenly you hear their voice in the other room and you think, that voice sounds familiar. I know who that is. Or or when you read something and before you know who the author is and as you read it, you you realize, oh, oh, I know who this is. It it has a familiar ring to it. I've read this person before. Do you recognize Jesus' voice speaking in the scriptures? Second, do you take comfort that Jesus knows your name? The New Testament says a lot about us knowing and calling on the name of Jesus, the name above all names. But it also says that the sheep of Jesus have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. That Jesus will give them each a new name and confess his or her name before the Father. This is the kind of intimacy Jesus has with his sheep. He, He knows us each by name. Is that comforting to you? You may be forgotten by acquaintances and coworkers and family and even friends. Uh, if you're new to Champaign-Urbana and, and you're meeting a ton of people, you're bound to forget 
people's names. People are bound to forget your names. If you've had more than one interaction with me, you may know I'm terrible with names, but not Jesus. Jesus knows your name. He, he won't forget it. You are valuable to him. Do you hear Jesus' voice? Do you take comfort that if, if you are among his sheep, he knows your name? And when Jesus speaks and leads, do you follow? Uh, the shepherd goes before the sheep and they follow him. If you are a Christian, that means you, you follow Jesus. You obey his word. You go where he goes and do what he says. You don't do it perfectly, right? You, you can't in this life, but you do your best. You try, you strive. Your earnest desire is to follow the shepherd. James, the, the brother of Jesus, once said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you are a sheep of the shepherd, not only will you know his voice, you, you will listen and you will do. You will follow the shepherd wherever he takes you. Do you hear the voice of the shepherd speaking in the scriptures and in the preaching of the gospel? Is it, is it familiar? Does the fact that he knows your name bring you comfort? Are you ready to follow wherever his voice takes you? So point one, the, the voice of the good shepherd. Point two, the purpose of the good shepherd. You know, uh, advertising in our culture intentionally creates anxiety to get us to, to buy, to purchase, right? Uh, you know, buy now, trending, for a limited time, only a few left, right? It's intended to create anxiety. We think, how can I live if I, if I don't get, if I don't purchase, if I don't buy, if I don't participate, if I don't sign up, enroll, wear, have, do? Uh, the problem is, in the end, we've just added anxious to empty, where, where do you look for life? What do you think will satisfy? What do you think will make you whole? What do you hope will keep you safe? Do you have constant FOMO, right? Are you afraid that you will miss out on what this life has to offer? Do you think if you don't hurry up, you'll miss out? You know, we define life by the world and pursue life in the world. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly, he says. Look at verses 7 to 10. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In these verses, Jesus it doesn't so much explain his earlier metaphor, but switches it up, right? If before Jesus is the shepherd who enters by the gate, now he is the gate itself. Uh, some say, uh, because possibly ancient Near, Eastern, ancient Near Eastern shepherds would sleep in the doorway to stop anyone or anything from entering, the metaphor hasn't changed. Jesus is still the shepherd guarding the sheep, but others say that's actually not the way it was. So whatever the case, Jesus is not afraid to mix metaphors. That's what he's doing here. Jesus is the door. As in John 14, Jesus says he is the way. And here Jesus is the door. He is the way to enter into the fold. You can't climb over the wall into the kingdom. You can't sneak in the back door of God's kingdom. Jesus is the door. If anyone enters by him, that one will be saved. Uh, in, in Numbers 17, uh, Numbers 27, verses 15 to 18, uh, Moses prayed to God 
And he said this, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Well, here Jesus is the new Joshua. And to go out and come in, as Jesus uses that language in John 10, it's, it's a figure of speech for all of life, right? To go out and to come in and everything in between. Well, here Jesus, as the door, lets people enter by him to be saved. Jesus is the way into the place of protection, the place of safety. And he lets people out to find pasture, the place of sustenance and fullness. Jesus is the one who brings us into the place of protection. And Jesus is the one who lets us out to the place of satisfaction, Again, it may be possible to, to overinterpret these verses, but the, the point is simply this. Jesus is the way to safety and sustenance. Jesus is the source of life. And we spend so much time pursuing life in the things of this age, things which cannot satisfy or save. Jesus says simply, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Others come only to steal and kill and destroy false shepherds, thieves, robbers. They don't come for the good of the sheep. They come to use and abuse the sheep. Jesus comes to give life. Jesus is what a true leader, a true king, a true politician should look like. Not pursuing his own good at the expense of the people, but pursuing their good at the expense of himself, which is where Jesus goes next. And so you have the voice of the good shepherd, right? Do you hear the voice of Jesus in the scriptures? Do you follow that voice? You have the purpose of the good shepherd, right? What, what are you looking for in life? Are you still pursuing life in the things of this life? Are you listening to the advertisers, the entertainers, and the politicians of this age? Do you think that they have what you need? The third, the method of the good shepherd. You know, the way of the world is to gain power in order to use those under you, right? To misuse authority, to think position is to get people to serve you. We think we get to the top so that other people will serve us. This is not the way of Jesus. Look at verses 11 through 18. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's skip down to verse 16. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Five times in this section, Jesus says, he lays down his life. For the sheep. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep? To what is he referring? Now, the imagery is, is that a shepherd would put himself in harm's way to protect his sheep from danger. Uh, David says in the Old Testament, as a shepherd, he fought both bears and lions to keep his sheep safe. Well, here it's a clear reference to the cross. Jesus says he lays down his life that he might take it up again, first the cross and then the resurrection. 
And what's so great about that is this is one of those places where Jesus himself explains the cross to us. If you've ever wondered what the cross is about, who greater to explain it to you than Jesus? And this is what Jesus says about his work as the good shepherd, the work of the cross. Jesus' work as the good shepherd is on behalf of the sheep for their good at great cost to himself because he cares for them to the delight of the Father according to the will of the Father of his own volition, of his own will, and to the end of resurrection life. So Jesus' work as the good shepherd is first on behalf of the sheep. This is both obvious but also important. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Not for himself, but for the sheep. Which sheep? His sheep. The ones that he knows. He knows, verse 14, and who know him. The ones that he owns, verse 12. The work of the good shepherd is on behalf of his sheep and for their good. The hired hand, the employees of the shepherd, if they see a wolf, they run. They don't want to get hurt. But what's the result? The sheep are snatched and scattered by the wolf. The work of the shepherd is to protect the sheep from the wolf. His work is on their behalf and for their good. He cares for them at great cost to himself. He lays down his life for the sheep. Now, on the one hand, in the imagery, the idea is the shepherd is willing to put his life in danger from the wolf in order to save the life of his sheep. He puts his life on the line. Jesus says, though, I lay down my life for the sheep. Not simply he will put himself in harm's way, but he will die, lay down his life. It's actually a a little bit absurd, right? It, It doesn't make sense for a literal shepherd to die for his sheep. The sheep are actually there for the good of the shepherd. The reason the shepherd has sheep is for meat and milk and clothing. When it comes down to it, better to lose a sheep than lose your life. That's not the way Jesus thinks. That is not the idea of the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. This is the language of of substitutionary sacrifice. The shepherd lays down his life in place of the sheep. Jesus dies in the place of his people. The danger here, of course, is not a wolf or a lion, but sin and wrath and death. And Jesus comes to taste those for us. The work of the shepherd is on behalf of the sheep for their good at great cost to himself because he cares for them. The hired hand flees, verse 13. He he cares nothing for the sheep. Why does Jesus not flee? In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prays to the Father, Father, uh, you know, if possible, let this pass from me. Why doesn't he just run from the cross? Because he cares for the sheep. He dies because he loves. He lays down his life for his sheep. The work of the shepherd is on behalf of the sheep for their good at great cost to himself because he cares for them and to the delight of the father. Verse 17 says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. In John 8, 29, Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to the father. And the good shepherd, right, laying down his life for his sheep is pleasing to the father. And it's pleasing to the father because it is according to the will of the father. The incarnate Jesus doesn't come to do his own thing. He does the Father's will, even when the Father's will is laying down his life for the sheep. This charge, Jesus says in verse 18, I have received from my Father. In John 12, Jesus says, the the Father sent me and himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. In John 14, Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me. 
In John 15, Jesus says, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And what is the will of the Father? What is the commandment of the Father? What does the Father want from the Son? Jesus tells us that too in John 6. He says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is the will of the Father that Jesus should not lose one of his sheep? How does that happen? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He dies that we might be raised up. And so the work of the shepherd is on behalf of the sheep for their good at great cost to himself because he cares for them to the delight and according to the will of the father and of his own volition. You know, no one forces Jesus to the cross. Some have talked about the cross as cosmic child abuse, as if the father were forcing the son against his will to suffer and die. That is not the case. No one forces Jesus to the cross. He goes of his own volition. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep, verse 15. And I lay down my life that I may take it up again, verse 17. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. It couldn't be any clearer. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. You know, when Jesus was being arrested, one of his disciples tried to fight, uh, but Jesus stopped him and said, don't you know, if I wanted, I could call an army of angels to fight on my behalf? Now, Jesus went to the cross willingly because he cares for the sheep. See, the work of the shepherd is on behalf of the sheep for their good at great cost to himself because he cares for them and it's to the end of resurrection life. Jesus lays down his life that he might take it up again. The incarnate Jesus through obedience receives the reward of resurrection life. He has authority as the God man, the righteous servant to lay down his life and to take it up again in the resurrection. So Jesus is the shepherd that protects the sheep with his own life. He protects the sheep by becoming a sheep. He enters the valley of the shadow of death as the sacrificial lamb of the father. But the father brings him through the valley in the resurrection. Jesus listened to the voice of his father and was given authority to take up his life again. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus, your life is not in your hands and you are not alone in the valley. Know that the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep and then he rose from the dead having received life in the resurrection. And he now offers that life to all who who submit to his shepherding care. So that's the voice of the good shepherd, the purpose of the good shepherd, to give abundant life, and the method of the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. Finally, the flock of the good shepherd. We live in in kind of an odd age. Uh, We are uh, inclusivist, but our inclusivity means we accept the fractured alienation of society. Uh, In fact, it seems our society is becoming less, not more unified. We celebrate diversity, but we dismiss the goal of true unity as uniformity. Uh, We think, oh, there there are many flocks and many shepherds, and that's just the way it is, and that's perfectly fine. The idea that we all need to be gathered into one, well, that idea is dismissed as narrow-minded. We reject the idea of a flock because there is so much systemic oppression. Let everybody just do their own thing. Don't tie me down. Don't put me in any artificial constraints. But then we end up with a fractured society, sheep without a shepherd alienated, vulnerable, and alone. Well, Jesus wants to gather his sheep. 
He calls his own by name. Out of Israel, Jesus gathers his sheep. Out of the sheep pen, into the open air of his grace. But in verse 16, we're told that he has other sheep. Sheep not of this fold. And he will bring them also. They too will listen to his voice. They too will know him. And he will know them. And to the end, that there will be one flock, verse 16, under one shepherd. This idea that Jesus' work was not just for those who followed him at that time is mentioned throughout the Gospel of John, actually. The entire flow of the Gospel turns in chapter 12 when some Greeks come to him because the inclusion of Gentile with Jew is not out of view in John's Gospel. In John 17, 9, Jesus prays for his disciples, but he says, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. Jesus is praying only for his flock, his sheep. Jesus goes on to say in verse 20, I don't ask for these only, that is not just for the disciples that he walked and talked with for three years, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He has other sheep, not from this fold. Jesus went to the Jews, he came to his own, and John says, his own did not receive him. But the disciples would go to the nations. The gospel would go to the Gentiles. So there will be one flock under one shepherd. Uh, there, there are not two flocks of Jesus, one Jewish and one Gentile. There are not two plans for two people, but one plan for the Jews and one plan for the Gentiles together. One plan, one flock under one shepherd. All who hear his voice enter through his door and look to his sacrifice belong to his flock. What does that mean for us? Jesus has other sheep and other folds and we'll gather them all into one flock. We should pursue them as instruments in Jesus' hands, invite others into Jesus' fold and pray for them. Jesus is now gathering the flock the Father has given to him. And if you're not a member of his sheep and you're beginning to hear his voice, listen and follow. Believe in the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. Listen to his voice. Pursue life in Jesus' way. Trust in his sacrifice and invite and pray for others to come into his flock. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to hear the voice of Jesus speaking in the scriptures even this morning. That you would help us to hear the voice of our shepherd calling us out of the fold and into his grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.